is a novel concept. John Peel was born in Nottingham, England, the home of Robin Hood in 1954. He was a rather sickly child, so instead of playing games and sports, he read a lot. And reading a lot led to Peel wanting to create his own stories, and so he began to write a lot. Peel was 27 before he became a professional by selling his first story, a comic strip to Marvel Comics. He then managed to sell articles about British television shows to an American magazine, Fantasy Empire. Peel moved to New York in 1981 to get married, and shortly after that became the editor of Fantasy Empire. Peel's first book came as a result of that, and then he started to write fiction. His first original novel was published in 1992, Uptime Downtime, about two orphans who discover they have the ability to travel through time, but accidentally erase their own timeline in the process and have to attempt to change history back to the way it was meant to be. Peel has been writing novels ever since. His original works include the Diadem series, a game-like series of novels in which the main characters must travel to and complete challenges on different planets, the Dragon Home series, a sister and brother each have talents, which are considered dangerous in their world. They're on the run from the king's men who want them in their army, and they must seek sanctuary at Dragon Home, in which they discover strange noises in the night and a deadly secret hidden in the castle. The Magical States of America. What if there was another world that existed alongside our own, that was almost the same as ours, but twisted in a different direction? A world where they used magic to live their everyday lives instead of science as we do. A world where there's another you, but of the opposite sex. This book imagines just that. 2099. Cloning, computer hackers, and a secret society dedicated to taking over the world. Shockers, a series of horror stories, each with a completely unpredictable ending. And Foul Play, children's games gone wrong and deadly. In addition to his extensive original works, Peel has also written numerous television, movie and video game tie-in stories, being one of the few people who can boast having both Star Trek and Star Wars on his resume, as well as Doctor Who, The Outer Limits, James Bond Jr., The Avengers, Are You Afraid of the Dark, The Secret World of Alex Mack, Eerie Indiana and Carmen Sandiego. While most authors get their start selling short stories, Peel admits to never having been able to do things quite the same way as others. So it was some time after his novels that Peel managed to sell his first short stories. Among his short stories are The Tales of the Shadow Men, a series which takes characters from French literature or stories set in France and gives them new life. To this day, Peel has still sold more novels than short stories. Currently, John Peel lives on Long Island with his wife and menagerie of dogs. The Peels have been active in helping to rescue abandoned and unwanted miniature pinchers for several years, and as a result, ended up keeping the ones that they couldn't find homes for. Of course, Leapers will know John Peel best as the author of the Quantum Leap novel Independence. It's August 1776. The war for independence has begun, pitting neighbour against neighbour. Samuel Beckett must take his stand with one side or the other. But Samuel Beckett, the real Samuel Beckett, is now over 200 years in the future, and his several times great-grandson has taken his place. Is Samuel Beckett a patriot or a Tory? Or, as some suspect, a double agent? Ziggy doesn't know, and Sam's Swiss cheese brain can't remember the family history. So Sam is left on his own to discover the dangerous truth. The Quantum Lead podcast is lucky enough to be joined by John Peel today. Thank you so much for joining us, John. 
Hello. <laughs> Just like to know, how did the story for independence come about? Well, um, it came about because I was absolutely hooked on Quantum Leap. Um, it was one of the shows that I, I never missed. And when I heard they were doing a series of novels based on it, I did something I don't usually do, and that's pretty much beg to write one. Um, I really wanted to have a go at it myself. And the editor, Ginger Buchanan, was kind enough to listen to me and agree that I could submit a few ideas. What I did originally was I, I came up with what I what I try and do when I'm writing a book is to do something that can't really be done on TV for various reasons, which you can do in books. So I came up with what I thought was this absolutely brilliant idea for a novel. It's in which Sam leaps back in time to this cop who originally was killed in action. And it's his job to try and figure out and stop it. Unfortunately, what happens is he actually gets killed. Yikes. And I actually kill Sam. And then everything goes absolutely crazy. Um, there's a congressional investigation. Uh, Quantum Leap is closed down. They're forbidden to use the, um, the, you know, the, the machinery at all. And Donna and Al um, surreptitiously started up again. And Donna has to leap back to try and save Sam. And, of course, she leaps back into the killer. And since this is her first leap, she's really, really groggy and doesn't know what she's doing. And the, the whole book comes to a climax, of course, where she confronts Sam and is about to kill him. And I pitched this idea to, to Ginger, and Ginger gave me this horrified look and said, we can't do that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, why, you know, why not? It's great. They will never do this on TV. And she said, they will never do it on TV because Sam is the star. He's only in two chapters of your book, you know. So she said, no, no, you have to do a story which has Sam in it. I pitched a second idea where he leaps back into 1963 England because right. pretty much the show had been based in America. And I said to her, why does it have to be America? Why can't he leap anywhere in the world? And I pitched this idea, but she wasn't too happy with it. So I, at that point, I said, well, what would you like to see? You know, what would be your ideal pitch? And she said to me, I'd love it if he just if we had another one where he leaps along his own um, genetic line rather than to his own time into one of his ancestors' times. So that's when I sat down and thought, okay, what am I going to do? And I just uh, at the time I'd just been to um, Concord near Boston, which is where the first battles of the War of Independence were fought. So obviously this was for, foremost in my mind at the time. And I thought, well, that would be good then. And I, because the previous time he'd jumped back, it had been into a, a civil war setting. So I thought a revolutionary war setting might be more fun. And when I pitched this idea, uh, Ginger absolutely loved it. So on, on my third attempt, I got it right. <laughs> it turned out great. Just out of interest, the stories that you're originally pitching, have you managed to write them down anywhere? Because um, they actually sound really interesting. I'd like to have a chance to read them if possible. Um, yes, I've got, I'm pretty sure I've still got the outline somewhere. I'd have to dig them out. Uh, they'd be in one of my files. But yes, yeah, I write sort of three or four page outlines generally. So there's a, a good three or four page outline for both of the, um, the, the novels. Great. You might want to uh, join our <laughs> the Quantum Lake Podcast's fanfic competition that we're running at the moment. Uh, you'd probably do a clean sweep. <laughs>
<laughs> I just wanted to ask, writing about the American War of Independence, we were all concerned about having to have your story centred around historical events and people who actually existed. How closely do you feel you stuck to the historical facts and how much liberty do you think you took towards them? I tried to keep reasonably close to the historical facts. Um, a lot of what I put into the book was was quite accurate. Where I live, the Havens Inn, is only a few miles from here. So I knew about the Havens' connection to the Revolutionary War and about the spies and everything. It's become more popular these days, of course, with that new TV show that came out um, previous season. But at the time, virtually nobody was really writing about it. So I, I was doing something quite different, I thought. And I, I did some other research and looked around and found things that would fit into my plot line. When I started it, I only had a vague idea of what I was going to do. I knew he was going to jump into the Revolutionary War, and I had a few ideas about it, but that was pretty much it. So as I did the research, I kept thinking, oh, I can use this, I can use this, and um, put put it on one side. In the end, I did actually get one complaint from a reader, a very friendly complaint, who worked in um, one of these reconstruction villages, and she said the only thing she had actually found inaccurate in the book was that I'd used the wrong stove for when Sam's wife does the cooking. <laughs> the, the stove I'd used actually didn't come into use until about 20 years later. And the funny thing is, when she said that, I remembered that she was absolutely correct. And I should have known it at the time, but I didn't. She's an expert, so if she only found one error. I don't think there were too many, thank goodness. <laughs> well, uh, you're just fitting into, you know, something that we Quantum Leap fans really love to do, and that's uh, picking out all the anachronisms. So it's a good oh, thing yeah. you left one there in for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is that one in there. I, I can guarantee that. <laughs> I, I tried my best. So how long do you think you actually spent doing your research, and uh, where did you find your information? Um, well, my, my wife is a library director, so I went to her library and they have this thing called the Long Island Room, which is directly um, a, a collection of books that are, have direct bearing on the history of Long Island. So I went to the War of Independence section and started pulling pamphlets and articles and looking at them saying, no, that's too far away or, OK, this is possible. And then I, I went through them you know, one by one that way. It's where I found out the, um, the stories about Huntington uh, that I used in the book. Great. Obviously, the story of independence was very, very different to what you originally pitched, and you had to make a great deal of edits in the process to be able to mm -hmm. make the sale. But what sort of changes uh, brought on in the story as it evolved through the writing process, and were you happy with the finished product? I was extremely happy with how it turned out. There were some changes. Um, when I started doing the book, I started writing it. I'd sent in, um, I'd never worked with Ginger before. And it's always kind of iffy when you're working with a new editor. You never quite know how you're going to get along. So, and obviously from her point of view, when you're working with a new writer you haven't used before, you're never quite sure if they're matching what you're thinking. So she had me send in a few chapters and I did that. I mean, it's not a problem. And she called me up and she said, you haven't got a verbena in it. And I said, who's verbena? <laughs> and uh, she said, well, she's, she's the, the, the psychologist. And I said, I honestly don't remember her. And she said, well, she was mentioned in like one episode, but we're using as a, uh, as a regular character. So we'd like you to add her in. 
And I was like, yeah, okay. Um, I didn't know that. <laughs> so um, I, I had to actually go back and add verbena into the story in certain places. The other thing was that the, one of my favorite parts of the original Quantum Leap, um, the TV show, was, I mean, I absolutely adored the story where Sam leapt back into himself and discovered he was married. So I was very, very keen on using Donna in, in a large role. And apparently Ginger wasn't so keen on that because she felt that the fans didn't really want Donna around because it kind of detracted from Sam. But I always thought that the, you know, the, the kind of lost love story was really, really powerful. So I pulled this forward and she, she let me get away with it in the end. <laughs> there definitely seems to be a theme throughout uh, independence of soulmates and people who gravitate towards each other, no matter how time or space separates them. Was this intentional on your part or do you think it was just a really nice side effect? Oh, no, no, that was intentional on my part. I liked the idea that Sam was falling in love with his own ancestor. I mean, aside from the fact that it, it raises all kinds of creepy questions um, <laughs> and obviously, you know, get, get Sam all worked up about it. I mean, you know, falling in love with your own great, great, whatever grandmother is a little weird to say the least. Um, and I, I like that kind of aspect of it, but I, I just felt it, it was kind of, it was just too much fun not to do really. And, I like that kind of star-crossed lovers theme. It's, it's something I've always enjoyed, and that was my really only chance to actually play with it. Yeah, and uh, it was hilarious seeing Al, you know, give his usual, oh, go for it, Sam, and Sam being extremely yes. <laughs> creeped out with his thoughts. And Yeah, I mean, Al is right about uh, it wouldn't be incestuous with that much separating, but, uh, yeah, everyone can understand how creepy and creeped out Sam would be. Uh, feeling. Sam would be, yes. Yes. Uh, in, in fact, Ginger thought I was making um, Al a little bit too sexist, uh, which is why I put the last little piece in the book where he explains to Donna that he's being sexist, not because it's his nature, which it is, of course, but because he was trying to distract Sam. So she allowed me to get away with that one. <laughs> yeah, it's always nice having that little bit of extra for Al, just to give his character a little bit more flavor. Obviously, since this story is set outside Sam's lifetime. As you said, he has to leap into one of his ancestors whose DNA is similar enough so that it's a match. And it appears that his host Samuel is very much like Sam and that mm -hmm. Samuel's wife Hannah is very much like Donna, even in appearance. So when you were writing the story, did you actually picture Samuel and Hannah as the past lives of Sam and Donna? Um, no, not really. It's just that I'd read this piece where they would talking about how people are attracted to certain kinds of people. And I just thought it would be kind of interesting to have two people who look a little alike being attracted to two other people who look a little alike. It, it was just my way of picking up a little bit of scientific background, I guess. I, I do this sometimes. I'll, I'll read an article and think, oh, that's an interesting thing. I'll have to keep that in mind for one of my stories. And that one had just occurred to me. And it just seemed like it was kind of appropriate that, you know, if Sam looked like Samuel, maybe they'd be attracted to the almost exactly the same kind of woman. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, it sort of, it sort of made sense when I was writing it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it definitely makes sense. Uh, now, there's a great deal of violence depicted in independence for obvious reasons, being, you know, in the Revolutionary War. 
what sort of a mindset do you have to get into to be able to write a violent scene and does it affect you at all? Um, everything I write affects me in one way or another. Sometimes I get caught up in what I'm doing and the, the mindset doesn't go away when I stop writing. Sometimes when I'm having a discussion, if I'm talking to someone after I've written a chapter or something, I will still be talking in the way that my characters have been talking. Because once you get into it, it takes you a little while to get out again. With the violence, I'm not very keen on violence myself. But when you're dealing with a war story, you have no options. You you know you have to have violence. Um, my feeling is that if you're writing a war story, you should show it as being pretty unappealing, really. Uh, that that's the way I try to approach it. Yeah, definitely. Just moving on a little bit from Quantum Leap. What are some books that you absolutely loved that may have inspired you to become a writer? That one actually is very easy. Uh, when I was, wow, well, must have been 10 years old or 11 years old, I grew up on Doctor Who. And back in, in the early 60s, mid-60s, it was, must have been, David Whittaker novelized the very first Dalek story as Doctor Who in an exciting adventure with the Daleks. And I mean, I must have read that 20 or 30 times, even as a kid. And it, it just flowed into me. It was just so beautifully written. And I just absolutely adored it. And that made me want to do the same kind of thing. It, that, that was probably the book mostly responsible for my one ride. Um, and I mean, even now, I still love it. His, his writing style is beautiful. And his, you know, his sense of story is great. So. Uh, that's the number one book I know that really influenced me. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've read a lot of others as well. I was a tremendous reader as a kid. I'm still reading an awful lot even these days because I, I enjoy the imagination. I enjoy prose and how people can tell stories and things. So I read an awful lot. I read everything. I mean, I, I didn't really care whether it was good or bad. I would just read it just to see because I, I, I always felt that if someone had managed to get into print, there must be something in it that's worth reading. <laughs> Not so sure these days, but back back then I was quite convinced of it. <laughs> well, you can't judge a book by its cover, can you? Well, a lot of people do that. That's the trouble. <laughs> it's funny you mention that, actually. We have one listener who I've been telling the listeners that we were going to be talking to you, and uh, she said to me, I'm a bit iffy about reading Independence because the cover looks very gory. <laughs> <laughs> and I told her, no, you have to read it. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of like the cover. It's, it's rather nice. Very, very good picture of Sam. Oh, it is. Yeah. I, I, I do enjoy the cover. Uh, I, I've been very fortunate. Almost all of my book covers I've loved, and um, that was certainly a good one. So what's it like writing for an established franchise like Doctor Who or Quantum Leap, as opposed to starting a new universe from scratch? Well, you've got a lot of background already done for you. Uh, when you're creating your own universes or your own stories set in even our universe, you have to do a lot of background work, just setting up the, the set, you know, the setting and the characters and everything. Whereas when you're doing it based on a TV show or a movie, that's all been done for you. So what you then have to do is just say, well, taking these characters, what would be an interesting thing to do with them? So I enjoy doing both things. I enjoy writing my own original stories, but then again, I enjoy playing in other people's universes. So if, if it's a show I like, especially, you know, um, obviously I'm, I'm very keen to write them. And it, it's great fun for me. 
Um, it's it's a lot easier because you 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 can picture things much quicker. There's less creation involved in that sense. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Uh, is it easier to be able to write for an established franchise because you don't have to do all that background work? Well, then there's the problem that, of course, that you have to stay within the framework so that you 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 have constraints that you don't have with your own characters. I mean, obviously, if you're writing, uh, well, as I say, I tried to, I was about to say you can't kill off the main characters, but that's exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, in my first time around on Quantum Leap. But, I mean, you, you know, obviously you can't make major changes. By the end of the book, your characters can't really change that much from the beginning of the book because there's going to be another 50 or 60 people writing stories on the same in the same universe, and they're not going to be necessarily reading what you've done. And, obviously, you, you can't marry off characters or things like that, you know, higgledy piggledy you you've got to follow the the, the guidelines so it's kind of like you you, you have to follow a map and you, you've got a certain amount of leeway you can go one direction or another but you've got to basically end up in the same place that's one of the beautiful things about quantum leap isn't it the fact that uh you can pretty much watch them in any order you like and there's not much of an effect on the overall arcing story how different is it writing about a video game ah well <laughs> That that was kind of weird. I am absolutely awful at video games. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. So it's mostly, from my point of view, when I was doing Common San Diego, I played a few games just to get the feel of it and what the characters were like, and then I simply put it on one side and just wrote a story. And, you know, that was that. <laughs> Other than that, no. Uh, video games I, I, I sort of steer clear of. <laughs> Are there any franchises that you've wanted to write for but haven't had the chance? Oh, yes, lots. Um, one of the ones that I really wanted to do was Alien Nation. I mean, I adored that series. Very, very clever show. And I, um, I actually approached them about doing a novel. And what happened was that I was actually set to do one. They had found when the show had originally been broadcast, this was between the show being broadcast and the reunion movies. Um, when the show had originally been broadcast, there were a whole bunch of scripts that had never been filmed. So they actually sent me an unscreened film um, script and said, would you like to novelize this? And it was a very clever script. So I said, yes, sure, I'd love to. And we were literally like a day away from signing the contracts and the series was canceled. So the books went by the way. So I was very close to writing an alienation novel, which would have been a lot of fun. I, I was looking forward to that one. Um, there's several other franchises I, I would have adored to have played with. And um, who knows, maybe one of these days I, I'll get a chance to, to do it. But, um, I mean, they're bringing back a lot of the ones that I've always enjoyed, like Man From Uncle or Thunderbirds. So I might just get a chance one of these days. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm sure we'd all uh, really love to hear it. Which of your works is still in print, and uh, where can they be purchased? Pretty much most of my um, my fantasies are still in print. I believe Amazon carries quite a number of them still, thank goodness. And um, I've self-published a couple that um, were sequels to other material that um, the original publisher decided they didn't want to do a sequel to for one reason or another. So a couple of them are actually myself, my own publications. And I've got a Lethbridge Stewart novel coming out next year, though I'm not exactly sure quite when yet. 
Yeah, that's a Doctor Who spin-off, isn't it? Yes, yes, it's a spin-off from the Doctor Who. Someone discovered that the Brigadier character was actually not copyrighted by the BBC, but by the original author, the person who had written it originally, and they licensed it from him. So that was kind of interesting. (laughs) Are you allowed to give us a little tidbit of uh, what we can expect in that book? Oh, sure. What it is is that the character of Lethbridge Stewart was created for the story The Web of Fear and then reappeared later in The Invasion. So these books of Lethbridge Stewart's adventures are set between those two stories, uh, in between him, his first appearance and his second appearance, which spanned about two years. So they've got plenty of room for stories, I think. And what it is is that he's – this is – before the days that he's working with UNIT, he's working with the British Army. So I ended up writing an alien invasion story with the very strange title, The Grandfather Infestation, which actually makes sense when you read the story. But I came up with the, the title simply to make people go, what? Um, which I do occasionally. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's an, it's an alien invasion. I've done alien invasions before. And the, the one thing I don't like is just that a lot of the aliens are just nasty, unpleasant characters that have decided, you know, they're going to invade the Earth. I wanted something a little bit different. And these aliens really don't care one way or the other about the human race. They just want the property, which is kind of, um, I, I, I thought was a little different, at least. <laughs> really looking forward to it. You're also working on the third Dragon Home book, is that correct? That's right. Yes, in fact, I I was working on it a little earlier today. It's one of those things where I I was working with an editor who was absolutely marvelous and who understood me really, really well. And he called me up one day in the middle of the summer and said to me, Hi, John, it's Craig Walker. Would you like to write a book for me? And I mean, they're magic words for any author, of course, you know, when when they actually come to you and ask you to write a book. It's amazing because They've already convinced themselves they want you, which is a good start. So you don't have to work quite so hard pitching stories. And I said, yes, I'd love to write you a book. And he said, how about Jane Eyre with dragons? It was just one of those things, you know, sometimes something just catches your imagination and you just go, yeah, I can do that. So I said to him, yeah, sure. And I literally got off the phone with him. This was like four o'clock in the afternoon. And I sat there the rest of the evening thinking, Jane Eyre with dragons. And I started typing an idea. And by the literally by the following morning, I had a complete outline. And I called him up and said, I'm faxing you an outline. This is in the days before um, widespread computer use. Um, I'm faxing you an outline. And I faxed him the outline and he bought it the same day. Literally a day after he'd asked me to write the book, he bought it. Then, of course, I had to sit there and write it. Yeah, well, that's great turned- feedback, though. <laughs> Yeah. What was funny was because I was so inspired from the beginning by just simply that one line description that I I actually wrote it very, very quickly. And I I really it was like white heat, you know, the the way you work. I'm one of those writers when I'm writing. I just really can't wait to get it, you know, get up in the morning and start work again. And that book, more than probably any other I've written. I was really, really excited by myself. And I think if you're excited by a story yourself, this comes through in the writing. Uh, it helps the, you know, it helps the reader. And 
it's proven to be a very, very popular book. I'm, I'm getting constantly getting um, comments from people saying, I read this when I was in fifth grade. Now I'm re reading it to my children, which is kind of flattering and is, well, not exactly insulting, but you know, it makes you think, oh, my goodness, it must be, I must be a lot older than I thought kind of thing if they're reading it to their kids. <laughs> but but it, it's wonderful that they, they have such good memories of the book. And I had so many people asking me for a sequel that I, f I finally gave in and did it. But it turned out that my the, the, the editor, uh, Craig Walker, who had commissioned the first book, had died, sadly. And nobody else at his publishing firm wanted to take on a sequel. So I thought, right, I'll, I'll publish it myself, which I did. And as soon as I did that... People then read it and then kept emailing me and everything and saying, when are you doing the next one? So I, I got kind of forced into doing a third one without really having thought about what the, what the story would be. Yeah, what have you gotten yourself into? <laughs> yes, quite. And it's astonishing because people love the character, um, the main character, Malayne, who has the ability to communicate with animals. And she talks with animals and everything. And it, she's an interesting character because she's very naive. She's been brought up in almost isolation. So she really doesn't know how to communicate to people exactly. And she just tells the truth constantly, which usually gets her into serious trouble, of course. And um, her, her responses are just very instinctive. So she's an interesting character, and people just seem to really relate to her, which is lovely. I love characters like that. It sounds a, a lot like Luna Lovegood from Harry Potter, one of those people yes. who just genuinely doesn't care what anyone else thinks and, you know, brutal right. honest all the time. And Yeah, it was kind of funny watching uh, Luna because she is a little like Melaine, yes. Um, thankfully, I, I created Melaine a few years before Harry Potter, so I'm fairly safe there. <laughs> Uh, well, maybe you can get some royalties from J.K. Rowling. That would be lovely. <laughs> uh, this is just a writing in general sort of question. I've noticed that a lot of writers sometimes tend to write under a pseudonym, and I've noticed you've done that with a few works. Um, I'm just yeah. wondering what sort of reasons are there behind wanting to write under a pseudonym just because it, it just seems like I'd want to get the credit for my work. I don't know why I'd put it under a different name. So. Yep, well, no, my, my feeling is exactly. I never wrote under a pseudonym myself willingly. I mean, it was never me saying, oh, I want this to go out as, under a pseudonym. I never did that. Um, what, what happened was that I, I wrote a couple of books in a continuing series, and what would happen there is that they – Editors had created a kind of group name because they would have various writers writing these stories. And the problem is they would then obviously, if they were under the original writer's names, they would all get lumped. Uh, they wouldn't be put together on the shelf. They would all be separate. And it would be hard to find you know, where the series was when you'd have to keep going from different writer to different writer. So they create a, a, a kind of group pseudonym that everybody writes under, which is what happened when I did um, books as Nicholas Adams. The other time I really wrote under a pseudonym was when I did the James Bond Jr. books. And in that case, it was because the James Bond production company, who owned the copyrights, didn't want my name on the books because they didn't want me to be credited as a James Bond writer. So they insisted on putting on a pseudonym. Um, but since I did all six books, it was, it was a pseudonym that was actually me, 
and somebody there must have had a sense of humor. I don't know who it was because I certainly never talked to them. Um, but instead of John Peel, they, they created the pseudonym John Vincent. And I think it's from that How to Win Friends and Influence People uh, book by a guy called John Vincent Peel. So I, I think they were being a bit funny there. If I was a, an editor, then I'd be trying to sneak little funny bits in as well, wherever I can. <laughs> I used to do that a lot with my books. I have a terrible sense of humor, and I, I, I can't write seriously for too long. I have to put jokes into things because that's the way I am. And um, uh, I, I did that with the James Bond Jr. books. There's a lot of jokes in those. <laughs> Just moving back to Quantum Leap a little bit, what is your favorite part of Quantum Leap or your favorite aspect of Quantum Leap? Well, I, I think the, the, the thing that really grabbed me, the, the episode that really, really made me love the show was the episode, I've forgotten the name of it now, um, the episode where Sam jumps back into the black servant. Uh, the in, Color of Truth, I think that one. The Color of Truth, yeah. yes. And I mean, to me, that was an astonishing episode. It was something you would never seen really on TV before. And the, the way they were approaching the color problem in a very weird way, because he was white, of course, but everybody saw him as black. And it was just such a beautiful script. And I mean, let's face it, he's such a great actor that that role that he played was just had so much dignity in it. And I, it just absolutely, I, I, I mean, I was blown away by that one. And I mean, after that, as far as I was concerned, there was no way I was missing the show. Before that episode, I'd always enjoyed it. But that was the one episode that kind of really made me realize just what they could do with the show when they had a mind to. And it, it was just wonderful. Yeah, I have a very similar experience, actually. Uh, the Color of Truth is the first episode that I actually saw. And ah. yeah, just watching that, I was hooked. Yeah. There was no way I was missing it either. So <laughs> I guess yeah. what minds think alike. Yeah, it, it, it's just such a brilliant episode. And um, it, it was so well written, so well acted, so well filmed. It was just everything came together. You know, sometimes this happens on a show where everything just comes together absolutely perfectly. And you, you, you're just watching it going, yes, brilliant. And, and that was my experience with that episode. It's great that through Quantum Leap, they're able to tell a story about things that have happened in the past, real sensitive and huge issues, but from the point of view of someone who's living in present day. So we can see how absurd and how unjust everything is, and we're seeing it through the same point of view as ourselves through this character that's from the present. So, Right. Yeah, I, I do that a lot myself, taking characters from the present day and putting them in past situations where you can comment on them, whereas, of course, the characters who are living in the past see nothing wrong with what they're doing. A character from the present day looking at the situation can say, well, that's not right. That's not the way people should behave. And that's what Quantum Leap managed to do a lot, I think. Yeah, they really did a great job of that. This is a question from one of our listeners, Leslie. Reviews of the Quantum Leap novels tend to range all over the spectrum. One's down the very, very <laughs> low end saying this is, you know, an awful book. The writer doesn't understand the two main characters, all the way up to glowing reviews saying it's the most true to book series I've ever read. Oh, by the way, yours is definitely up there on the high end. Uh, <laughs> but did you ever feel any pressure about writing what has become one of the most beloved series on the planet? No, actually, I, I, I never felt any pressure whatsoever. I just 
felt tremendously glad that I was doing it because, I, as I say, I love the show and I really, really, really wanted to play with those characters. It, it's only after you're done that you start thinking, oh, I wonder how other people are going to see this. Um, because you, you can never know. This is why the reviews are always up and down. One person can love it, one person can hate it, because it depends on, on the viewer or, in this case, obviously the reader, as to how they respond to what you're writing. And, you know, sometimes you, you hit the right buttons and everybody goes, oh, love it. And then other times you, you miss somehow. And then people start picking holes in it. So, you know, you, you really can't worry about that while you're writing it. Uh, that tends to be something that comes to you afterwards. Oh, how are they going to take this? I hadn't even thought about it kind of thing. Yeah, when you can't do anything about it. Right, yes. Well, um, I, I, I can give you an example of, of something that I did, which I wasn't sure how anybody would take, and then nobody even got it, so it wasn't a question. Um, I, I did a Star Trek novel, a Star Trek Next Generation novel, and um, this was about the time that um, Jonathan Frakes was hosting the Alien Autopsy video. So I wrote an Alien Autopsy video into my book, and had Jonathan Frakes actually present at it in the story. And because I thought it would be funny. And it wasn't until after I'd written it and sent it in that I suddenly thought, well, you know, people got a little annoyed with him for doing that. Maybe they'll get annoyed with my book having put the, you know, something similar in. And I don't think anybody even noticed it. It was so weird because I was expecting to get a, a, a lashback from people saying, how could you do that? And I, I didn't get a single comment. Nobody. It was so weird. So yeah, I think you'd probably find that people are just interested to see what, what people think up. So uh, you, you right. can't really criticise someone for letting their imagination run wild. <laughs> Do you know if Independence is going to end up being released in an ebook form at all? And have any of your other works been released as ebooks? I have no idea. The writer's usually the last person who gets told these kind of things, I'm afraid. A couple of my Star Trek books have been released in ebook form. I know that, and the ones that I've self-published, I've done as ebooks as well. Uh, I, I have to admit, I bought a Kindle a couple of years ago, and um, I'm absolutely hooked with it. Uh, aside from anything else, it means my bookshelves don't get quite so weighed down these days. So I'm I'm very fond of um, having things in ebook form, and it's a great way of of doing a back uh, catalog, which. I mean, obviously, publishers don't like to keep every book they've ever printed in uh, in print because you know, it's going to take a lot of space up. Whereas in, in ebook form, you can keep them uh, pretty much in print forever. There's no problem. So I, I, I think it would be lovely. I'd, I'd love to see the Quantum Leaps come out in ebook form. Have any of them been done? Not to my knowledge. And we get a lot of yeah. questions if we know if it's going to happen or if or why hasn't it been done. Obviously, we're not affiliated with them. We've got no idea. Right. So, but we we also hope that they do get released in ebook form at some point too because people have exactly the same mindset. They want to be able to have it with them all the time and not have it take up too much space. And Right. Well, uh, certainly if anybody actually approached me about it, I, I'd be very happy to say, yes, 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 do it. Because I'm an author and I have an ego and I love the idea of my books coming back in print, <laughs> especially ones that I've enjoyed writing so much. Speaking of writing for Quantum Leap, do you have any other Quantum Leap stories in your head that uh, you're just dying to put down on paper? Where would you have Sam leaping to next? Um, I've actually not thought about it. As I say, I did the one book 
and then I moved on. I forget what they did after that, but I, I, I went on to something else. And then I really hadn't thought about doing any more. I, 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 it's kind of odd because I'd enjoyed it so much. And usually when I enjoy something, I like to go back and do another. But for some reason, I never quite got around to going back to Quantum Leap. Um, I, I think I was distracted. I think this was about the time when I was creating my own fantasy series. And I, I focused so much on that that I really didn't think back again. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of stuff. As I say, I always wanted sound to leap out of um, America because, you know, it seems so unrealistic that every single time he jumped, he should jump somewhere in America. Only a few times I can think of offhand. So, right. Yeah, and if you think about how big the world is and the small percentage that uh, America is, then you'd be probably be expecting him to be leaping outside quite a lot more. Same with women as well, because women are more than 50% of the population, and uh, he only ever leaps into a woman a few times as well. So, Right. You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ground to explore there, especially if you want to tell um, an interesting story. I mean, you've got – we had the leap into Vietnam, for example – which was um, obviously overseas. But um, other than that, there really wasn't a lot. And th there's just so much you can explore. And w with the point of view and, uh, of Sam and everything, it, it would be interesting, I'm sure. Well, hopefully uh, all the writers and perspective writers around realise how rich this show is with possibilities and get writing and building up more interest and hopefully we'll get back the show and back the novel series in some way, shape or form. Yeah, it would be great. Well, thank you for joining us, John. Uh, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you very much for, um, for an interesting conversation. It's been great fun. <laughs>